What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Stand Fight podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eastman. Thank you all for tuning in again. This would not be possible without you guys. Um, I'd like to do a couple check-ins. We have now six different countries listening to this podcast in over 129 cities in the United States, which is pretty cool for a recovering addict in Centerville, Utah. So we thank you all for listening. Um, today is a topic that I have not really thought about personally myself, which I probably should have along the way, but I guess that's why we do these podcasts is as I'm a big recovery guy, we have a lady here about to share a pretty good story about people who are actually dependent and need drugs to be able to survive through the pain. So I'm really excited to have Darlene with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I know you guys traveled a long way to get here, so I appreciate that. Um, tell us a little bit about you. So I am a now single mother of four kids, and I became single in January. And I am here today to kind of discuss my husband's story. I, I appreciate that. So I guess we just dive right into it. Um, your husband, why don't you tell us the story? what happened and why he became dependent on medication. Okay, so he, this goes back 10 years ago. He, um, we were up American Fort Canyon and he, we didn't know this at the time, but got bit by a tick while we were up there and he contracted what's called Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. It's different from Lyme's. It's actually a bacteria. The bacteria goes in and does all sorts of damage to your body and because his body was so strong and so efficient on on healing it didn't get the spots like a normal person would so he ended up having it for seven months before the doctors finally figured out what it was so for those of you that don't live around utah maybe they have ticks everywhere but that's a bug that lives on deer and out in the woods and we're in the mountains and things like that that has some carry some nasty diseases so what were some of the symptoms what was what were those seven months like So he, it looked like he had the flu. So he, um, he was throwing up nonstop. He looked just, his skin looked white. And the biggest symptom, the the biggest problem he had with the whole thing was he, instead of being able to walk straight, he would walk into walls and he thought he was walking straight, but he clearly was not. He, he was spinning and had vertigo and things like that. I was just going to say, I've had vertigo before. It sounds like that. Yeah. So prior to any of this, what what was he like? What was super active, I guess, if you're outside oh, doing stuff yeah. and Yeah, he was very active. He he was very fun, very funny, just happy. <laughs> so then what happened after 7 months when they figured out what it was? What where did y'all start from there? You okay. <laughs> Sorry, this might be hard to get through. So he, it didn't really change him right away because he, he wanted to be him. So that was, that was the hard thing is that he fought really, really hard to not change. And then probably about two years ago, we discovered that he, so the doctors had put him on lots of medications to try to help him with this problem. And then 
two years ago, they discovered that he was what's called an ultra metabolizer to medications. And that just means that his body was so efficient that it was getting rid of the medication before it had time to work. And so because of this, he needed to be on a higher dose of these medications to actually give him pain relief. So when we talk about pain, what what describe that to, to most people? Because a lot of people are like, and this is where things get twisted is right. like you have a, my ankle hurts or my no. hip hurts. It's, we're talking about a completely different dog. And right. I think people, listeners need to understand the difference between what we're talking about and what. So the pain levels that he was at would be what most people would consider a 10. Like when they go into the hospital, they're like, what's your pain level? He would be a 10 all the time. He said it felt, it felt similar to putting your hand on the oven and not being able to pull it off. But it went from the top of his neck down to the back of his knees. And it was like a burning. Yeah. So it was like constantly being on fire. I've, I've experienced just a little bit of that recently. I broke my neck and I had some nerve damage and felt it in my yeah. arms. And it's like I'd wake up in the middle of the night and it would be, feel like yeah. my arm was on fire yeah. or there was acid on my skin. Yep. That so would I, be, I, I get that that would be what bit. he was feeling all the time. Everywhere. And so <laughs> when they got him on medications that they consider worked, we're talking it lowered his, his pain level down to like a four to six. And that's where he stayed. He didn't try to get it to zero. He just wanted to be where he could function and be comfortable. And that's kind of important to know too. Manageable. Right. Yeah. So what did he do for work? He worked for the power company. He was actually a computer technician. He took care of all their computers, and he was considered remote because he covered a lot of areas, and he probably had the most amount of computers too. So he he was really good at what he did. Awesome. Tell me real quick, going back a little bit, you said you have four kids. Yeah. Ages? Uh, My oldest is 19. And boy or girl? Girl. Okay. And then the next one is a 17-year-old boy, and then um, I've got a 15-year-old girl. And then the youngest is a 13-year-old boy. Just mixed it up. Yeah. All teenagers right now. Wow. <laughs> okay, so then how, how did it affect the family? Like um, the family dynamic, dad's sick, or I, I know just when I'm in pain, I get pretty irritable. I don't know if that if he was like that at all. Yeah. How did it do work and, and deal with everything? So if his pain level met, like got above that six range, he started to get more irritated. And, but... Really, the last two years, I have to say, were really, really good. They finally, once they cued in on exactly what his dosage should be and when, um, he was with the same doctor for 15 years. So he, he, he was with him during the tick bite. He was with him during the figuring it out. He's the one that did the DNA study on him to find out how he metabolized medications. He, did, he was with him through all of it and got him stabilized. But then the insurance had come in and said, you know, we won't cover this medication as long as you stay with this doctor who's a primary care physician, not, not a pain specialist. Right. And he kept fighting him and saying, no, um, I just want to keep this patient. We're just, we're good. He's been stable. Really. They had no reason to make him move, but then they just kept pushing and, and we finally just switched to another doctor who initially agreed with the first doctor and he was a pain specialist. And he said, you know, as long as he's, stable I don't know why I'm seeing him I mean he hasn't changed his medications for years there'd be no reason for me to see him unless in fact he needed a change of medication so he wanted him to go back to the regular doctor too and the insurance company came back and said nope we won't cover his medications if he sees anybody else so 
So what what happened then? Um, the very next month, the doctor decided that the insurance was right and he was going to start changing the medications. So they um, made two major changes to his medications that next month. Um, that would have put us so f- that was from October to November, and in October is when he was talking to his buddy at work and left a, a re- he had a recording. He was going to start recording the insurance company, so he was trying it out on his buddy at work, and happened to record a conversation how he was feeling about the insurance company. So would you like to play that now? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So this is Adam's own words too. The other, so yeah, I, I it just bugs me because I feel like I'm being sidearmed, I'm being bullied, I'm being, I'm being, and I'm like, no, I, I'm not going to be bullied. This is being bullied. They're banking on you just throwing. No, this is it. Really, is discrimination because if I came to you and said, okay, you're taking this this medication, I disagree with the medication you're taking, even though it's medically necessary. No, you disagree. Yet the doctor has given both two doctors. No, she's disagreeing with the doctors. She's a pharmacist. She knows better. She knows how the medication works. So that was him actually stating both doctors agreed that he should be on this medication. And then the insurance company came in and said, no, we disagree. We don't think you need this medication. So so what did they do at that time? Do you do you mind telling what, what medication it was? Um, he was on a fentanyl patch. And then for breakthrough pain, he was on Percocets. Mm. So. so it's not even that. I mean, fentanyl is pretty strong, but as far as the... the he wasn't touch on up a, is not that's not even that big of a dose so he I'm wasn't even had so the the fentanyl patch the what worked best was he was on a 75 milligram patch and then the next day he would take a 25 patch because he had burned through it so quick mm-hmm. and that bridged him through to the next 75 the next day so it wasn't a huge dosage but the insurance company wanted him to be on they're like well why split it up we want him on a 100 milligram patch so they thought by going up and the numbers matched up that it would help. But he still burned through that. It didn't matter if it was a 75 or 100. He still burned through that in that first day. And then the next day, he just started diving because mm. the pain wasn't being covered. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm really surprised at that I don't think either one of those are very expensive medications. Pretty no, common. I think because it was two patches. And then, and then, came, well, then December come along. And that was when... Um, there was a mix-up with the dosage at the pharmacy, so he had to call the insurance to find out what happened and fix it. And then they said, oh, by the way, you have six months from your last refill, which was the November dosage, to find a way to start lowering this medication because we are not going to give it to you at this. We need to start force, they were going to force taper him off of it. They didn't think he needed to be on this medication. So what was their, what was their plan on that? Um, he, they were going to knock him down to 75. Actually, the day before we lost Adam, he was supposed to start that very next day. He was supposed to start a 75 milligram patch and he wasn't getting the coverage with that hundred milligram patch. They'd already switched him to. So he knew it was just going to get worse from that point on. So then walk us through that next little bit. So the next little bit was really I guess January when when he decided that he just had had enough he for me what I saw is um, he would wake up in the middle of the night and he would be sweating through shirt after shirt 
he'd be switching them out because they were almost so drenched you could almost squeeze them out because he was sweating so profusely um he has like a pillow that i still have his head and shoulder imprint on right on the pillowcase because it was he was just in so much pain um tell me a little bit about before that how how were the holidays and I apologize for <clears throat> digging into some of these things, no, but I feel good. it's a... Well, in December, actually, I had a hysterectomy. And so I had been, rec- I was recovering from that. <laughs> and it didn't, it wasn't smooth. So I kind of feel like a lot of things I missed. That I typically wouldn't have missed. But I I mean, I can't blame myself because I really, I was with him the whole time. I was always there for him. So I can't really, I guess, beat myself up because it was just like a lot of bad things all at once. Yeah. Like I I describe it like watching a snowball rolling down a hill and you just can't catch it. So you get through Christmas. Yeah, we, we made it through Christmas and he seemed okay. Until about Jan- January, like right around the new year. Like he seemed like he was trying to tolerate things pretty well. And from probably my daughter's birthday, which is in Jan- it was January 12th. Um, probably from that point on, it just started spiraling a little bit more, a little bit more quickly. And um, the day before we lost him, we went to a jazz game. And he just seemed off a little bit. And... Like he was just in deep thought. He said he was hurting in a lot of pain, so I tried to not push too much. And then the next morning I woke up and he wasn't he wasn't in the house. He'd left and drove off. So when what day was that? That was the morning of the nineteenth. It's my birthday. January 19th mm-hmm. yeah so getting the news who how did you guys find out well when I woke up and didn't find him there I just had that eerie feeling that something was off and I called my my dad and he said if you're this worried about it you need to just call the police and just have them take a peek and see if they can find him and so I did that and within Before I even hung up the phone with the police station, um, my daughter, my oldest daughter has a friend whose dad is a police officer and she already had her on the phone and he was already out looking for him. I mean, before I even hung up. So they had everyone looking for him and it wasn't until the next day that they were able to make a beat on his phone and find where he was. And then the officer came and came to my house and said, we found Adam. And I'm waiting for him to say, well, why is, why did he come home? Why do you want to be home? Then he said he, he had passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. And how, uh, how was that for the family over those next little bit? My youngest son was the one I probably worry about the most because he's just so young. The second he heard, he just ran and shut himself in his room. 
He doesn't like to cry in front of any, anybody, so and he still doesn't. And that's what I worry about the most because he doesn't share his feelings like everybody else. And so I do spend a lot of time sitting down asking the kids how they're doing and I try to make them cry because I feel like it's good. It's good to cry. Those feelings need to be out there and heard and things like that. Yeah, I think that's one of the main reasons why I do this is is to try and normalize. Life yeah. is not normal. Nobody's no. normal. And the more we can not be normal, the better everybody's going to feel. Yeah. And uh, I know that in my experience, I've got my ta- this tattoo for mental health and suicide awareness. He's my best friend did it, and he was like my best, closer than my brother. And it, it, I didn't know what to do for probably close to ten years. Yeah. I didn't understand it. I took, I held myself accountable. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't understand it. So I want to make sure that. Yeah. Other people can, at I, least. I think we all do that. I think we all want to find a way to somehow make sense of it so we try to feel accountable even though it's really not a lot we could do I think even if I woke up when he was leaving and grabbed his legs and said no stay I I don't think I could have stopped him he had his, he made up his mind so so now you're here to get a message out and you're and it sounds like you're yeah. fighting with a lot of uh, yeah. fighting for something of the I am. I'm trying to help people to see that there's a difference between being addicted to a medication and dependent on it. Adam was definitely dependent. He had no choice but to be on it. He didn't love being on it, but without it, he just he just suffered. So I think a lot of people hear drug, you know, these drugs and they think, oh, instantly you're you're addicted. But that's not always the case. And I think a lot of people need to understand that there's a lot of patients that need to be on these medications and they shouldn't be targets with this war. Yeah. That's when, when you first were talking to me about that, I'm thinking my, my recovery bear hopped up in me and I'm thinking, but that's mm-hmm. like, there's people that are actually in pain to function every day. They need it. And then there's the people that I like myself, I thought I needed it because I was depressed or because I had anxiety or because like there's, there's things that life skills and, and dealing with life a little bit differently can take care of. And there's things that aren't. And right. that's something that we're talking about here. Yeah. And I'm, I, I agree. I think there's a big problem with addiction and I think there's a big problem with people who are addicted and they need help in a different way, but, and they need a lot of support and a lot of love and a lot of encouragement from people around them and to get those skills like you're saying. But the patients that I'm talking about are those who are actually dependent on it, who are actually patients that that literally don't even want to be on these medications but yeah, are forced to be on pain. them. So as you sit and you look back through all of these all of these things and, and uh, you're taking it up to the Capitol and to different senators and things like that, yeah. what kind of response are you getting? Um, so far, I think the people that I've shared Adam's story with all of a sudden the light kind of comes on just like you were saying that you had this sense ahead of time about what with your experience what what it should be like and then as I share Adam's story all of a sudden they're like wow I'm making connections that I didn't realize existed they didn't they didn't realize that there's this little group of people that actually do need these medications and that's what they're there for yeah and that's what I'm trying to help bring awareness to because 
these people are suffering and they are forced with decisions they don't want to make just like Adam was he's like do I stay and suffer do I just crawl in a ball and just be vegetative state and have my wife take care of me do I kill myself and those are very difficult things and and you know at the very last day before Adam left us he he left us a video on his phone about why he did what he did and I'd like to play that if if yeah, that's okay absolutely it's very I'm just gonna warn everybody yeah. it's very difficult to hear because these are his thoughts these are exactly what he thought before he took his own life so here it is I can't get it to play. Hang on. You're good. A little technical difficulty here. It dawned on me. It's either, you know, the insurance companies are going to keep cutting me off. The doctors are going to cut me off. I'm not going to be able to find any medication. or find any relief. I've tried to do everything under the sun, and it's just not going to work. So I have to take things in my own hands, but I take my own life. Hun, I love you. Don't ever think it's because of you. What you didn't do, if you coulda, shoulda, did this, that, and the other. Coulda, shoulda, wouldas, never work out, hun. Please, please don't blame yourself for this. Um, I'm doing this because I want to get out of pain. I'm in extreme, extreme severe pain right now. There's no way I can fall from 150 milligram fentanyl patch and pills every single day to none. There's just no way because I want to go back to this chronic pain. There's no way. So I have to take the matters in my own hands and kill myself once and for all. I hate even thinking about doing it, but you gotta do it. Else, I'm just gonna suffer, 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 and I can't come down off these meds. No way. There's just no way. So, everything I've tried out there, I've tried and I try and I try and try, and I'm at a point where nothing works. So, Darlene, I love you, and I love you forever. And it's nothing to what I'm doing has anything to do with you. It's just simply fact I can't get out of pain. There's no way I can go 15 levels down with patches and and pain meds and all that for five six eight years and just so much pain to get out of there's just no way i think i died trying to get out of pain there's just no way so what do i have left i only have self-murder that's all i have so anyway um just can't believe i'm doing this anyway i love you kids and i love you so much darlene thank you for all the great years I just got to take care of this pain. I'm done. I can't, I can't allow you to go through this and the suffering, me screaming out and sweating and dying. Middle of the night, there's just no way. All for what? So I get out of pain only to be feel pain and just be completely all messed up all the time and just screwed up all the time. No way out of pain because the doctors aren't going to give me any more medication. The insurance sure shut me off. I, I have no place to go except massive withdrawals, massive pains. I got to kill myself. So um, forgive me. I'm sorry forgive me just know i did it because i'm in pain <laughs> i just don't want to be in pain anymore that's the only reason i know i'm just in severe pain wow yep. when you hear that and i'm sure you've played it a million times what's going through your head well for me i saw the pain i didn't just hear him tell me things like that I saw the suffering I saw it in his eyes I saw his body I, like I could watch the muscles in his back just twitching and contracting so 
so visually I could see that he was hurting. Yeah, he sounded pretty clear-headed. It's not like... He was. That's how he always sounded. So, if you have a message to people, to insurance companies, to what, to family members who are going through this, what? I just think that they... I think people need to understand that there are people that do suffer with pain, real pain, and I really think it needs to be up to the doctors to decide who, you know, who needs these medications and who shouldn't be on the medications. And those that that don't need to be on the medications, for, for sure they need to get off of them. Like I had surgery back in December and I was on medications and... I was on them for a couple weeks, and then I got off the medications, and that's that's the way it should be for most people. But then there's a select group of people that no matter what they do, they can't get out of pain, and that's just their life, and that's just what they have to deal with. But it shouldn't be up to insurance companies to decide this. It should be up to the doctors to decide it. And And we talked about that a little bit, but also do you mind sharing a little bit of the aftermath of what it's caused that decision for them to pull him off and his decision to commit to where you and your family are at now um and the other things that are coming up because of that for me i since adam has passed away it's like drinking from a fire hose (laughs) i'm learning to take care of all the stuff that he took care of and stuff that i took care of too (laughs) i've got to take care of the kids and an interesting balance because right now I'm able to collect social security that from him working but if I worked I lose that and I wouldn't make enough money to even take care of my family and even with the social security it's less than what he brought in so we have to work on a tighter budget than we ever had and it's not about the money it's it's about the reason why I'm even bringing awareness to this is is because of all those other people that still suffer, that are suffering and are being cut off and forced tapered off their medications on medications that they should be on. It's kind of like so I have a I have a thyroid problem, and I'm dependent on thyroid medications. If the insurance company came to me and said we don't like your medication, we want you off of it, I really wouldn't know what to do either, because I'm dependent on it. I have no other choice. And it's the same kind of thing, but just a different drug. And I think that's how it needs to be looked at. Yeah, that like I said, I've never even... I, I mean, I live... My, my sister struggle, has type 1 diabetes and all these different things, lupus. And mm-hmm. she worked her butt off all her life, and then they don't want to pay for anything. They don't, she, needs, she needs continued care and all of these things, and she's just living can't feel her legs and having to work around and all these different things and I, I think our system's really screwed up yep. and uh, I'm hearing those stories all the time to, yeah it's pretty disgusting on how that and, and I'm not against you know immigration and all of that stuff but we have all this money for people coming in like that but we don't have people for our, or money for our own people to survive and, and, and have the live the life they need to be able to do that and yeah. it's a it's a sad deal especially when it ends with with uh, someone taking their own life and affecting yep. another five, and and I'm sorry to to hear all about that. Yeah, it's it's not the easiest thing to go through for sure. So if if anybody's in a similar 
situation are you willing for them to reach out to you and and chat how would they find you you have social um, media. We usually am, don't give out phone numbers, but yeah. social media is easier on messengers. I am on Facebook, and I post a lot of the newest things that I'm, like speaking engagements, everything like that that I do. I've been posting those on there as well. I'm going to be setting up a whole other page for that because I've there's so many people wanting to follow me. I've almost maxed that out. I think they let you go to yeah, 5,000, 5, and then yeah. that's it. So, so what's that going to be, or where can they find you now? Or um, st- still, still find me on Facebook. And what is it? It's Darlene. It's Darlene. It's spelled D A R L E E N, middle initial H, Palmer, P A L M E R. And then if they message me, if they they mention your name, then I know I know where they found me, and then I will I will reach out to them. Awesome. Yeah, I think I do have some some chronic pain listeners that that follow closely onto what because. There's the other nasty side that he talked about, the withdrawals that are just, people don't understand that. Yeah, and, uh, well, he knew he would be having the withdrawals along with the on pain. Top of, it's yeah. just, it was just, he just couldn't even fathom what, going through more than what he was already feeling. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you. Actually, I want to ask you too, is when we talked about before, this wasn't just somebody that came and got on drugs. He did other things to try and fight the pain, holistic things. So can you give he us did. an idea of what those things were? Well, his list is pretty long, and a lot of it was not covered by insurance. Um, so it was just out of pocket, but he was willing to try anything. So him, he tried. This is his list. He's got um, chiropractics. He did massage therapy, physical therapy, decompression therapy, muscle stimulation therapy, deep muscle it was like a deep muscle massage therapy, uh, vestibular exercises. That was to get rid of the vestibular problem he had. Um, tens units. That was by prescription only. And he had more than one of them because they tried different types. I've um, actually got a client that has one of those in his, like inside of his body in his back. Yeah. That yeah. Is, uh, probably needs to listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> he did prolotherapy and that's called proliferation therapy where they try to, get your body to go in and reheal it's painful too yeah um stem cell therapy so they took stem cells from his hip and injected it down through his back to try to get it to regrow repair heal. um right units that's where you're sending a le- electrical waves through your body to try to th- heal it uh, cold laser therapy ozone laser therapy nerve ablation therapy acupuncture avisa treatments and he even tried some ketamine treatments as well so just thinking of myself and a lot of people that I deal with, when people are like, what else have you tried? Have you done physical therapy? Well, not yet. Like nobody yeah. does anything because it's so much easier just to take a medication to kill the pain yeah. or to cover the depression or whatever it is. And it sounds like he spent some serious money and time he did trying and to find a way out. Even the physical therapy, um, he did that through the insurance company and he did it until finally they said... This isn't working for you. We're not going to pay for it anymore. So they even cut him off that. So when they started saying that they weren't going to give him the medications, he's like, well, what do I try? And they're like, well, you need to find something. And he's like, well, for the last 10 years I've been looking. It's not like I'm not trying. So he, he really tried everything. I think that's a, that's a good reason why the opioid problem is people are getting pulled off and heroin's a lot cheaper. Yeah. and he That sucks. He wasn't willing to try that. Yeah. So. Well, again, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I appreciate you being vulnerable. That's a yeah. pretty tough story, and it's very fresh. It is. And 
I appreciate your strength and honesty, and I know my listeners will too. Is there anything else you have for us? No, I just want to say that, you know, I'm doing what I can to try to change laws and change things so that people that do need them can get them. And so if people are thinking of suicide, just hang on, just hang in there because I'm really working as hard as I can at every angle I could think of to try to change things. So Yeah, if you're ever in that position, that's what what my foundation is about is suicide and, and uh, mental health awareness. And if you need anything, please reach out. You can always find me at Coach Eastman 8 on Instagram or Eastman underscore recovery and Rob Eastman on Facebook. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you guys for listening.